Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Recorded live. Um, You ready to go over there? We got to stack some more containers. What's that? <laughs> so you ready to go over there? You got to stack some more containers. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. I start with the NFL show, then go uh, OSU, and then college. So. Okay. This is with an Ohio bias, the podcast for real fans with D and J. NFL Week Four. I am the Cleveland born and raised, excuse me, Cleveland born and raised, but I born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see us. We're talking National Football League. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we're back talking NFL, and uh, we're going to give you the quick recap of what happened. Of course, go into Fantasy Gold, Fantasy Cold, and then give you our predictions. We are going to slide some Browns talk in after that heartbreak loss to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, but first, we start with the recap. The Houston Texans shamed themselves against the New England Patriots. They got rolled on Thursday night football, 27-0. The check is still a genius. The Baltimore Ravens edged out the Jacksonville Jaguars with Joe Flacco uh, finally completing more passes and interceptions uh, when the Ravens win 19-17 over the Jaguars. The team in Washington edged out the New York Giants, 29-27. That Eli shows up again. The Green Bay Packers, Relax over a win over get uh, to relax over a win over the Detroit Lions thirty four to twenty seven. Uh, the aforementioned Dolphins beat the Browns thirty to twenty four in overtime. The Minnesota Vikings, looking like one of the best teams in the league, go into Carolina and destroy the Panthers twenty two to ten. The Denver Broncos have a quarterback that people still don't know his name, but he's throwing for four touchdowns to lead the Broncos over the Cincinnati Bengals 29-17. The Arizona Cardinals have disappeared, and the Buffalo Bills get a win 33-18. The Oakland Raiders find a way to win over the Tennessee Titans 17-10. The L.A. Rams, still sell, it feels weird to say that, beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 37-32. 
the San Francisco 49ers drop a game to the Seattle Seahawks up north, 37-18. The Pittsburgh Steelers did not show up in Philadelphia or Winsledelphia, as it's known. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Steelers 34-3. The New York Jets have no offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick to another pick in KC, uh, and it wasn't barbecue. The Kansas City Chiefs destroyed the Jets 24-3. The Indianapolis Colts get lucky and edge out the San Diego Chargers 26-22, and the Dallas Cowboys run all over the Chicago Bears with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott running up big days. The Cowboys win 31-17 over the Chicago Bears. And Monday Night Football, the Atlanta Falcons are still throwing touchdowns over the New Orleans Saints. They went marching in and won 45-32. to uh, I know the big takeaway, Jake, for us is that Browns-Dolphins game. Um, a spirited, spirited effort by the Cleveland Browns. You felt like they were going to lose going into that game. Um, where points at that game, you felt like they were going to lose. And then you're like, Cody Kessler's still upright. Hey, it's the fourth quarter. These guys are still marching down the field. And... This this guy from Ohio State who got kicked out for tattoos uh, is playing like Otto Graham out there doing everything, and we should have let him kick the field goals as well. Uh, your thoughts on the Cleveland Browns-Dolphins game? Yeah, I mean uh, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of uh, tough breaks. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to special teams again. You know, it seems like every week we're talking about Chris Tabor and the awful job that special teams does. Um, you know, maybe this one's a little bit more on management from who they brought in. You had Robbie Gold sitting out there. Uh, but, you know, for them to get off the tarmac with him still on the team, uh, it's a little bit surprising. He, uh, Parkey's going to be back kicking again this week. I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. Um, the good spot, the good thing to come from it is, like you said, the performance of Terrell Pryor. Uh, it looks to me like this is a sustainable thing. This is not just a one-week fluke with Terrell. Uh, he's really committed to becoming a wide receiver, and his previous career as a quarterback um, really comes in handy. I mean, it, the Wildcat came into vogue, um, you know, a few years ago, and then people finally figured it out. And the reason they figured it out is because there was never a passing threat from the Wildcat. Well, if you throw it four times, then all of a sudden they got to respect the pass and it's going to make the run that more effective. And, you know, it turns him into more of a Cordell Stewart or an Antoine Randall L running out of there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that that's the positive takeaway. But, you know, it's it's a matter of a few plays every game that uh, dictate whether you're going to win or lose. And right now the Browns just aren't making the plays to win. I was encouraged by the effort that was given over the four quarters, um, and you didn't see a, a huge drop-off considering the talent that was out there for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you got one of the highest-paid defenses out there versus Cody Kessler and Terrell Pryor, Ricardo Lewis. I mean, you know, we got Austin Pastor, who's people still running by that guy, but these guys played hard, and that was good enough for me. And then you had a chance to win the Cody Parker thing, yeah, I, it's been bashed to death. It it makes no sense. It just really makes no sense. You got Robbie Gould sitting out there, and it seems like it was a four hundred thousand dollar decision when it boils down to it. Which I don't know what the Browns are saving this money for. Maybe Jim Haslam's going to take it with him like King Tut, so and and bury himself with all this these billions of dollars. Uh, I will say this: the Bodie Calhoun, the Lamiere, 
or I think I hope I'm saying his name right, you know, the plays that were made by guys we didn't know going down the stretch of that game was very encouraging. The defense was very encouraging. So Hugh Jackson is slowly, you know, proving to be trustworthy. The part that's not trustworthy is, you know, the old Bill Parcells lines. If I'm going to cook the meal, I want to get the groceries. The guys getting the groceries right now are not helping Hugh Jackson a lot. Um, hopefully that changes here going into the future. I'm not saying fire anybody, right, right. but it, you can see that there is a huge, huge uh, disparity between the coaching talent and maybe the front office talent right now. Um, they did find Bodie Calhoun and the other guy. Those guys were guys that were picked up off other teams. So, you know, there is some small, you know, uh, bits of sunshine, but damn, a win would have felt good there against the Dolphins, and that game was right there for the taking. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm okay. I mean, it, with the front office, I mean, it, the one decision about a kicker, uh, I don't know if I'm going to hold them totally accountable uh, as far as everything else that's on the field um, and, and take away from what they've put on the field. I mean, we the rookies had played very well. Uh, you look at a guy like Jordan Foyer, 13 tackles in that game. Um, the guy they brought in, like you meant, Bodie Calhoun, with the touchdown on the interception, uh, Lemonier. Uh, another guy. So I, I think that overall, this this front office has is working hopefully in tandem with uh, Hugh Jackson. And the fact that they didn't cut him, I, I think that's more on Hugh Jackson than the front office. I mean, Hugh Jackson has the, uh, I would imagine, the capability to say, I don't want this guy on my team anymore. And the fact that they're sticking with him, um, you know, I don't know exactly who to blame in that situation. Well, that's uh, something that we're very familiar with. We always don't know who to blame here as Brown right. fans. So um, let's get into it. Fantasy gold, fantasy cold. Um, or actually, any other observations from week three in NFL so far? I mean, uh, we saw some of these teams. We look at the 3-0 and teams around the league, Jake. Uh, are the Minnesota Vikings the best team in the league without two of the best players? Boy, you know you said. And uh, – and, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater gone. Yeah, I mean, you look at this season coming in, the Vikings were uh, a chic pick to potentially win a Super Bowl, and then Teddy Bridgewater uh, shreds his knee, and you're like, okay, their season's basically done. Now they went out there and they spent a first-round draft pick to get Sam Bradford in there, and it seems to be working out pretty well for them. Uh, I don't know if the, the price was worth it for a Sam Bradford, but uh, as long as they can keep him healthy, he's very serviceable. And then all of a sudden, Adrian Peterson goes down. Um, but, you know, Zimmer has this defense cooking uh, like the Denver Broncos were last year. So I, I think is I think we've seen that you can make deep, deep playoff runs and potentially win a Super Bowl if your defense is dominating enough. I don't know if they have the personnel to sustain it the whole year, but to me it's definitely the most surprising uh, a team this year, and that's saying a lot when you consider that the Philadelphia Eagles are uh, undefeated. Yeah, the Eagles are undefeated. The Broncos with a, a performance with Trevor Simeon down there in Cincinnati that was also equally impressive. Um, yeah, it, it's very interesting what's going on in the NFL, but let's get to what people really care about is their football fantasy. Their football fan, Their fantasy football. We're going in fantasy gold, fantasy cold. Uh <laughs> I got a I football take, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take credit for something. I, I you know I, I don't talk about all the bad that always happens, but this one hit me like a bolt of lightning, like Harry Potter on Sunday morning. And I threw it out to we got a little group that we go back and forth with some fantasy guys and whatnot. I just wanted to make sure that Terrell Pryor would get double points if he took snaps at 
quarterback. And that was the case, and you saw a huge day, as we all know from Terrell Pryor, um, record performance for the Cleveland Browns. And I put it out on Instagram, put it out on the, uh, Facebook, so you got to like with an Ohio Bias Facebook page because this one could have saved your season um, with a win. Terrell Pryor, huge day. That was my fantasy goal. It continues to be my fantasy goal for this week. we got a little bit of attrition with a lot of the injuries that are happening out there. You know Shane Vereen had a big day, but he's now injured coupled with the fact Rashard Jennings is injured. So I'll give you Orleans Darkwa. I know they're playing the Vikings on Monday Night Football, but somebody's got to tote the rock for the New York Giants. Eli can't keep throwing interceptions. So I think you're going to get some garbage time with this guy, and he's going to roll up some points. And then the other guy I'll give you is Humphreys for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's quietly becoming Jameis Winston's favorite target. For some reason, Vincent Jackson is not seeing the ball the way it is. Um, I'll give you him down there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then a name that you know, you saw him go crazy in Cincinnati, Emmanuel Sanders. The guy was crying about getting targets. He got 13 this week, and I think that's going to continue. Trevor Simeon was finding him and Thomas in regular. And Trevor Simeon, a Northwestern quarterback, and the funny thing about that, the Northwestern people are upset that the guy never got the chance to ball out like this when he was playing for the guys that wear shorts. So, uh, But the Broncos are rolling, so that's fantasy gold with uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Humphreys, Darqua for the Giants. That's Orleans, Darqua for the Giants. And, of course, the one and only TPZ, Terrell Pryor. All right. Um, the guy I'm going to start with has been kind of the darling of fantasy football for uh, going back to the end of last year when Jamal Charles tore his knee uh, in the beginning of this season. Spencer Ware had a great first game, was probably the one of the top five fantasy plays in all of football. Uh, last couple of weeks have been a little bit of a regression uh, for, for Ware. And you look at the game this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, that front seven is always very, very daunting. You may be able to throw against Pittsburgh, but you're not able to uh, run against them very well. So I think Spencer Ware, if you got a better option, uh, leave him on the bench and he's fantasy cold this week. Um, and I, I'll give you a, a group of backs because it seems like Kevin Gold, Coleman and uh, Devontae Freeman, they're sharing everything now, uh, including touchdowns, touches, uh pass uh, targets, you know, and now they got to go up against Carolina, uh, a team that's coming off a loss. They're going to be angry there. I I just don't see the Atlanta backs giving you the return on the investment that you need. If you have one or the other, you may want to look a different way this week. And then finally, Mike Evans has been a great play all year uh, for fantasy football, but we've seen in his career he's been very inconsistent at times. Uh, He hasn't had that real bad game yet. The Denver Broncos are the type of team that can give you that bad game. I know Mike Evans, it's hard to get him out of your lineup, but if you have a much better option on your bench this week, you may want to just think about it for this week because Mike Evans, I feel, will be fantasy cold. All right, let's get into it. Week four predictions. We start Thursday night football in Ohio. The Miami Dolphins go marching or go swimming in to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, we saw what Miami was about last week. Um, They don't have a very good run attack. Uh, They couldn't get the ball running at all except for the J.A.J. touchdown in overtime uh, against the Cleveland Browns. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals are a little bit better front seven than the Browns are. I think they'll have a hard time doing that, and that's going to lead to the Bengals being able to pin their ears back and come after Tannehill. Uh, A.J. Green had a terrible game last week. But uh, these Miami uh, 
cornerbacks may be the cure for what was ailing him last week, uh, as we saw Terrell Pryor had that huge game. I'm taking the Bengals. Yeah, this is a get-right game for the Bengals this week. I mean, they 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 get the Miami Dolphins at the right time on a short week. Uh, two of those offensive linemen couldn't take the physicality with the with the Browns' maligned front four, and they're out for this game with Pouncey and the uh, left tackle going to be out for this game. So Ryan Tannehill is going to be running for his life. I think this just sets up perfectly for Cincinnati, who desperately needs a win after losing to the Squealers and the Broncos. So I like the Bengals big here. Uh, go crazy fantasy with your Bengals players. And Jeremy Hill emerged last week with two touchdowns and 97 yards. So they're even getting the running attack going. Uh, we talked about on I-71 uh, South podcast on the I-71 South Podcast with uh, Garrett Staples, we talked about how Ken Sampiti just has to mix up and not be so predictable with the offensive play calling and everything will get right. And uh, they got some protection issues on that O-line with the Bengals, but that, that front four is not scaring anybody. They're just getting paid. And they, the the one thing about this is the Bengals come out with the energy of getting Burfick back, Lontez Burfick coming back off of the suspension from the last year's playoff game. That guy, the energy there, being Thursday night football down there in the jungle, the Bengals are going to roll the Dolphins here on Thursday night. All right. Well, don't want any bangers and mash early Sunday morning, but everybody will be up to see the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars play in London. Why not get up early? It's the only thing on TV, even though it is Indian Jacksonville at this point. Um, you know, these are two desperate teams for a win. Jacksonville starting out here 0-3, Indianapolis 1-2 and with hopes of potentially winning the division. Uh, and there's a big opportunity now with the Houston Texans losing J.J. Watt for the season. Uh, they could uh, start struggling a little bit more on defense as he's such a key. Uh, I, I look at Jacksonville this year. That offense just hasn't gotten it together at all yet. The running game has been completely inconsistent. Uh, and they've only scored 54 points the entire season compared to Indianapolis' 81. Uh, it's hard to say when you go overseas. There is no home team. I just think Indianapolis is still the better team. Uh, so I'm going to take the Colts and uh, my boy Luck in this one. I hope those English fans come out dressed as cows again. That was one of the funniest things we saw last year when they played the game over in England. And Jacksonville, uh, for some reason, their owner thinks this is a great thing for their football team to keep traveling over there. I mean, uh, I, I, there's no way I can pick against the Colts in this one, um, even though their defense is terrible. Like you said, Blake Bortles has not gotten on track. Maybe they, they catch the folks, you know, sleep, a little uh, hungover and sleepy from being out the night before uh, getting out and, you know, uh, and, no, I was um, getting out and hanging out. And that's the only thing that might help the Jaguars, but I think they go 0-4 and the Colts win. Rex Ryan surprised everybody. We're getting the Bills a win last week. Now they go into New England to take on the Patriots. Yeah, and I'm really hoping that uh, both Garoppolo and Brissett aren't able to play in this one because I want to see Bill Belichick beat an NFL team without a quarterback. I think that's what we're looking at. If, if those two aren't ready to go, I could see Julian Edelman taking snaps this week and the legacy of Bill Belichick growing because he just beat the Buffalo Bills and Batmouth Rex Ryan without a quarterback. I'm taking the New England. Well, I'm going to take the Bills in this one. I think they found a little bit of their mojo here last week at home with that big win, and a game that everybody thought the Cardinals were going to come in there and roll, um, even myself. The, Bill, the Bills, are they're always going to find a way to uh, get up for a divisional game. 
Um, and especially when it's, you know, they're catching New England at the right time, just a little wounded. I will say this, not so much about the offensive woes, but Bill Belichick had that defense ready to play Houston, and Osweiler just did not know what to do. Um, He was throwing some high passes that were even too high for the huge receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. So uh, you thought maybe Brian Hoyer had got back there during the playoff game again. That's how bad Osweiler looked. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the Bills, though, over the Patriots in this one to win. Uh, Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans go in to take on the aforementioned Houston, Texas. Yeah, and like I said, uh, devastating news for the Texans this week coming out that J.J. Uh, Watt won't be available for them for at least uh, a good large chunk of the season. Uh, Tennessee's just a bad football team, though. Uh, they got to go down to Houston. Uh, I, I think this could be a, a little bit of a Lamar Miller show here. Uh, Tennessee's defensive backfield is pretty good. So uh, I could see a lot of dump-off passes. Lamar Miller probably getting 40 touches in this one. Uh, and I'll take uh, the Texans to beat the Titans. They're not winning a road game yet. Well, the battle of the Oilers' legacy here, I will agree with you, though, that I'll take the Texans over the Titans. Uh, that defense still has their Davian Clowney, who's actually played a little bit better. I saw an article, I saw an article headline that said they're going to be leaning on Clowney now. I don't know if that should be the case, but I still think that defense is better than the Titans' defense, and I think they'll give Mariota just enough trouble uh, with they still haven't figured out what they're doing with their running game with Murray and Henry splitting those carries. So once the Titans figure out what they're doing, I think they'll have a better direction, but it ain't going to happen this week in Houston. More divisional matchups. The Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford go in to take on Brian Hoyer and the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, another bad football team right now, completely banged up. Uh, you know, Brian Hoyer, we know all about what he's what he can do. Uh, and it's not great. So uh, I, I think this, this defense of Detroit is uh, a better defense. I think Jim Caldwell now has these guys' attention. Uh, and now that Matthew Stafford doesn't have Megatron there, he doesn't have to force the ball to Megatron. He's spreading it out. Marvin Jones has been great this year. I could see Golden Tate getting uh, off on this one and getting back into uh, his season as he started pretty slowly so far. Uh, I'm going to take the Lions to win in Chicago in this one. Yeah, I mean, I'll take the Lions' defense over this Bears team any day, especially even though they don't have Ziggy Ansah up front or uh, DeAndre Levy, both injured. Um, They don't even need them this week against the Chicago Bears. Brian Hoyer will probably serve up a couple picks for them. And Matthew Stafford is still spinning that ball around. Marvin Jones with the biggest fantasy day that I've ever seen. And you wonder what would have happened. This is a little side note here. I mean, I'm picking the Lions as well. But you wonder what would have happened, Jake, if the – Browns, and this is another indictment of the front office. They, to their to their credit, they were honest saying they didn't have it really together. But you wonder what Marvin Jones would have looked like in this offense with Terrell Pryor. He was a Hugh Jackson favorite in Cincinnati. Hugh Jackson really wanted him, but the Browns front office couldn't chew gum and start up. And this is one of the problems that we have in Cleveland, just with the constant changeover. So we missed out on that, and this guy is showing and proving up there in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Carolina Panthers are probably happy to be out of Charlotte and uh, get some rest. No, let me try to say that. The Carolina Panthers go down south to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and this year we're actually getting the play from Matt Ryan that we thought we might get when he was drafted to this team. Uh, he hasn't been making the big critical mistakes, but I, I just think Carolina is coming off of a loss, is going to be angry and ready to go. 
Um, you know, they, they were in the Super Bowl for a reason here. Uh, Atlanta is at home, so I give them a little bit of a chance, but uh, I still think Cam and the Panthers get this one done. Well, Cam, this has got to play better. You talk about Matt Ryan playing yeah. better. Uh, one of the big things that's helping Matt Ryan, though, is that rushing attack. Both Freeman and Coleman, uh, both in the passing and rushing, they're, they're, I mean, receiving and rushing, you know, from Matt Ryan. They're, they're giving him a lot to lean on there. That defense for Atlanta still stinks. So that's the one thing that you, if Cam Newton can get himself right, uh, maybe those effects of those 17 hits from that opening Thursday night really caught up with him here a little bit, the wear and tear, but he's got to play better. He's got the weapons out there with Olsen and Benjamin back. I mean, there's no excuses. And even Ted Yen, if he can catch the ball uh, when it's thrown to him, you know, the Panthers should win easily here because their defense is much better and they should be able to get to Matt Ryan. But I got to give credit to the Falcons and that offense for being one of the top producers here. Uh, going through the first couple weeks of the season. I will agree with you. I picked the Panthers as well. Somewhere, Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing another interception. And here come the Seattle Seahawks and the Legion of Boom into New York to take on the Jets. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know, Seattle, it's a tough situation because they got to go all the way across the country here for a 1 o'clock kickoff. The Jets have played a couple stinkers here recently. I, I actually think with a banged-up Russell Wilson that this is a week that the Jets could potentially get a little bit of an upset kick or upset win here. Um, I, I, I think after Ryan Fitzpatrick's miserable day last week, uh, he's able to rebound a little bit and uh, be able to potentially move the ball with uh, the weapons that he has. Matt Forte has been the one shining light for the Jets. Um, I, I, I think in a low-scoring game here, I'm going to take the home team. Oof. Well, I'm going to take the Seahawks. I, you always make the point they are not the same team as they are at home, so I agree with you on that. But uh, they, they, the performance by Fitzpatrick last week was just awful. And then also, too, Brandon Marshall is not 100%, and, it, and they, they had him on a limited play count last week. Eric Decker is having his shoulder looked at this week. So uh, I know uh, Anawa. The third yeah, receiver Anawa. There, yeah, the third receiver there, Anawa, you know, has shown that he's reliable. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is just not accurate right now. I think that him not being there through training camp and things like that to get that chemistry going with those guys really is coming to haunt them right now. So I'm going to take the Seahawks here, getting some opportunities in the turnover game to win this game. Uh, Russell Wilson and Kristen Michael also probably make some plays as well. So I like the Seahawks there. Brandon Marshall be better. Brandon Marshall better be ready to turn the keys to his Bentley over to Antonio Brown. It looks like. Ooh, Rolls Royce. The Oakland oh. Raiders go in. The yeah, Rolls Royce, whatever. <laughs> no, no, you're right. No, that's what Bentley is. A Rolls Royce. I was just saying, like. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, Oakland. That was a good point. The Oakland Raiders take on the Baltimore Raiders. Yeah, Baltimore here, again, a West Coast team having to come all the way to the East Coast for a 1 o'clock game generally doesn't work out too, too well. Um, Baltimore, it, I can't quite figure out what they are yet. I mean, they're undefeated. Um, they haven't been playing the greatest football. The running attack isn't there yet. Uh, you know, they may be able to get uh, Kenneth Dixon back here in a couple weeks. That could solve a lot of problems. Oakland's been playing really well, though. Um, I, boy, it is a tough call. I think just because of the home field and the early start time, I'm going to take Baltimore to still stay undefeated. 
it's disgusting that these Ravens have skipped by these games week after week. But uh, yeah, they got you got to give them credit. They're finding some way to win. I think the Raiders put together a better effort. I'll say this though: the one disappointing thing for this Raiders is that defense. We know Khalil Mack is good, but the rest of these guys have not helped him out enough. Um, only thing I can think of is somehow Khalil Mack can get a sack and 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 take Flacco out of the game, but I don't see that happening. I'm going to roll with you as well. I'm going to take the Ravens here uh, to win at home and 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 keep on rolling. Oh, we go. We stay in Maryland, and. We see the Cleveland Browns go in to take on the team in Washington at FedEx Field. Yeah, I mean this matchup has lost a lot of luster now that Robert Griffin III isn't going to be playing in it. Uh, that was a you know one of the storylines going into this season that we were kind of looking forward to. Uh, Cody Kessler in Game Two, I was actually pretty impressed with Kessler. Um, you know, I, I think he's got a career, maybe not as a top echelon quarterback, but it is somebody that can, you can hold on to and. Uh, do a good job in a pinch and uh, be a very solid backup quarterback anyway. Uh, Kirk Cousins seemed to have maybe found a little bit of something last week. I, I just don't think these Browns are ready to go on the road and win yet. Um, I'm going to take uh, the skins in this one. Well, the real question is, if Joe Hayden's going to play or not, I think that would provide a lot of help out there for the Browns. Uh, no, Might make it worse. <laughs> I know we're disrespecting Bodie Calhoun and the guys who stepped up last week. Here's the real thing in this game. Can the Browns run the ball and keep running the ball? Uh, Isaiah Correll, second leading in rushing with the, with, in the NFL, second leading rushing running back in the NFL. But somehow Hugh Jackson goes away from the running game. Um, I didn't see Cody Kessler do anything bad. I didn't see him do anything too great, though. I want to see them be able to push the ball just a little bit. I mean, even if – even if it's a ball that's going to be a 50-50 ball thrown to the sideline that's almost borderline out of bounds, we've got to at least stretch that defense a little bit. The best thing is for the Browns, the Washington defense is very banged up. D'Angelo Hall has been lost for the season. Breland stinks. The only person out there, Josh Norman, we know what he's about, but you can get in his head a little bit. So I think Terrell Pryor is going to be all over this guy. And, you know, the best thing about Terrell Pryor is the guy is bigger than everybody else out there playing. So uh, it doesn't matter who's checking him. I don't care how much money Josh Norman signed for. He's going to have a long day trying to shut down Terrell Pryor on Sunday. So uh, I like the Browns' chances here for one reason and one reason only. Kirk Cousins is an interception machine. So he'll find a way to throw the ball. And one guy who was fired up last week, I hope he's fired up again, Jamar Taylor. I hope he brings it um, – I think the Browns find a way to win here because the one thing that this game has one more storyline that I kind of forgot about, but when we were looking at it this week, Hugh Jackson and Jake Gruden know each other very, very well. And Hugh Jackson is just a little bit older, has a little bit more experience, so I'm going to go with that, and that's going to be my edge in this game and the Browns see their first victory here. The Denver Broncos, no Peyton, no problem. Go in to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty impressed with Trevor Simeon. It seems like it's a, a, a decent upgrade from Peyton Manning, and he wouldn't have said that uh, very often during his career. Um, Tampa Bay can score the ball. They just can't stop anybody. And uh, Denver is going to be a much different test than the uh, Atlanta Falcons or uh, the New Orleans Saints would be for uh, Tampa Bay. I just think Denver will be able to slow down Tampa enough. And I actually, with C.J. Anderson cooking a little bit, I, I like the Denver offense a lot more than I did coming into the season. I think Denver gets this win on the road. 
there's no doubt Denver gets this win. Now let's Jameis Winston, like, you know, can play a perfect game, which is very hard. He he gets a little erratic with the football sometimes. Um, so I think he's going to, you know, try to throw in some tight windows and turn the ball over, and that's going to be the case. Denver wins again with that right, with that offense. The offense is actually playing well enough to help the defense, and that that's a scary thing for the Broncos right now because they're rolling. So I agree with you, the Broncos win. Still not used to saying that the L.A. Rams go down to the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, you're going to have an angry Arizona team after coming to Buffalo last week and getting uh, rolled. I, I just think that the Rams are a bad football team. And, uh, you know, how about Jared Goff? You know, you, you see all these rookie quarterbacks around the league uh, having success every week, and their number one overall pick can't even get dressed to play, to, to stand on the sidelines. Um, I, I think this is going to be a big blowout in this one. I think Arizona takes down the Rams. Well, it would be helpful if Carson Palmer got more than two fantasy points this week um, to all those owners out there, fantasy football owners out there. Angry hasn't helped the Arizona Cardinals. The best thing that's going to help them is if they are a better football team than what the Rams are right now and Jeff Fisher. Um, he got his one game this year where he got a win that he wasn't supposed to get already, so he saved his season. Um, Todd Gurley did get back on track last week with two big touchdowns, but I, I agree with you, even without Michael Floyd. Um, I think John Brown has a little bit of a game here, and the Cardinals do roll up some points on the Rams. Quick fantasy question for you. Who would you like better if you had to choose between John Brown and Michael Floyd? Oof, I'd take John Brown. Because right. you, you got the big play potential there. He stretches the field. Um, Michael Floyd is a possession receiver, but I never see him, you know, getting a lot of yak, getting a, you know. John Brown goes flying down the field. If Carson Palmer hits him, you know, it's most likely going to be a long touchdown. So that's it, you know. And Michael Floyd, I believe he's a little bit banged up right now, too, going into this game. So. Yeah, he's dealing with a concussion. He's back at practice, but you're right. Well, Dak Prescott, another one of these rookie quarterbacks helping his team win, they go in to take on the San Francisco, and the Dallas Cowboys go in to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco, Chip Kelly's, you know, made them a little bit more stable, I guess, for some reason. Um, They've definitely found something. Uh, I just don't know if it's enough. Uh, I think Dallas still, uh, I know it's a rookie quarterback on the road uh, with a rookie running back, uh, but I I like what I've seen so far from Dallas and what they've been able to do. Uh, I'm going to take the Cowboys to go up there and uh, get the win. Yeah, the Des Bryant has you. The Des, uh, excuse me, the Des Bryant hairline fracture situation has me a little iffy. But here's the thing: the San Francisco 49ers aren't bad, but they aren't good either. So they're in that right. they're in that you know purgatory area of being mediocre uh, or a pretty basic uh, team. Uh, to use a phrase from a quarterback from Oklahoma, you know. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys do know what they do. They have an offensive line. They want to run the ball. Dak Prescott has control of that defense. And, I mean, defense has control of that offense, and I think he's feeling more uh, comfortable. So, uh, Chip Kelly will pull out some stops, but I like the Cowboys to win there easily. And uh, Ezekiel Elliott will keep on rushing. Well, the battle of the two quarterbacks who were on the same team long time ago, Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints go into San Diego to take on the Sheriff and the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, San Diego has uh, been a little bit better uh, offensively this year, and that's with the losses of 
Whitehead and Keenan Allen, and that has a lot to do with their offensive line. I think Melvin Gordon has been able to get the ball going uh, because of that. Uh, the defense is still susceptible to the run, but they're pretty good up against the pass, and that's what New Orleans really likes to do. Meanwhile, New Orleans is just a sieve of a defense, and uh, I, I think at home, Philip Rivers is going to be able to get it done for the Superchargers this week. I agree. I think the Superchargers role, they got Philip Rivers keeps that offense in every game, and um, he almost thought they were going to, if they had they were going to finish that game against the Colts last week just because Philip Rivers always has that magic you know, ready to go for a late win, a late game comeback. Uh, they lost a tough one earlier this season to the to the Chiefs, but like you said, the Saints defense is just bad. Drew Brees is good. He's great. He's not good. He's great. You know, but that as great as Drew Brees is, that defense is just as bad. Uh, shout out to the rookie from Ohio State, Michael Thomas, becoming a big target for him. But with all the targets and the offensive weapons he has, the, the defense just stinks so bad that they can't help but, you know, give up points. So I like the Chargers as well in this game. The Kansas City Chiefs go into Pittsburgh on Sunday night football to take on the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers uh, coming off the tough loss last week and uh, Kansas City, uh, you know, like I said, in the fantasy uh, gold, the fantasy cold. I, I just think that their game is so predicated about running the football in the running back situation, and this isn't a good matchup for them against Pittsburgh. They're such a the Steelers are such a different team at home than they are on the road. Uh, I think, especially when you're talking about prime time, I, I just don't think the the Chiefs have enough on either side of the ball really to stop the Steelers and then also to score enough to beat the Steelers. Well, I, I think that you know one of the points you always make about Andy Reid, he's a great regular season coach. And uh, he knows Todd Haley pretty well coming out of that Chiefs situation. He coached against these guys for a long time. I like Andy Reid. And that defense is feeling real confident after having all those turnovers last week. So they'll be looking to, you know, sit on some routes and try to make some plays against Big Ben, who does give you opportunities out there. Um, The big thing for the Squealers, they get Le'Veon Bell back. So you know you're going to see a big dose of him. We already know D'Angelo Williams was a huge part of that. Uh, I think that's going to be a big shot in the arm for them on prime time, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs in an upset here. I just think that they're playing a little bit better, and the Squealers still got to – I don't think they're going to be recovered from that smackdown they caught in Philadelphia. Monday night football, the New York Giants go to the state of a thousand lakes. Well, we talked about big... – Say it again. The land of a thousand – The land of a – I don't know what's going on here. Your Giants versus the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, the Vikings were uh, one of the surprise teams that I mentioned earlier in the show, but uh, I think that this Giants defense is very underrated. Uh, They spend very wisely, and uh, it's showing now. Minnesota, I think this is the week that the injuries catch up to them. Uh, The Giants have been very good against the pass, uh, and so if you can't get Stefan Diggs going, you're going to have to rely on Jarek McKinnon and uh, Matt Asiata. Kyle Rudolph could potentially get him up the middle with some gains, but I just think Eli Manning and uh, this offense, there's there's plenty there for them. The key is going to be for them, can they get anything from the run game at all? Because uh, if, if you're just throwing the ball all day, Minnesota's going to pin their ears back. But I do think that the Giants can, and uh, you know, in a, in a buy-low sell uh by low, so high market. Uh, I, I'm going to take the Giants this week uh, in Minnesota. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, uh, on the other side of the coin on this one. 
I think the Vikings defense is going to be the difference. And we saw bad Eli at the end of that game against the Washington, uh, at the end of the game against Washington. Um, the whole thing with OBJ or ODB or whatever they call them up there, stop crying on the sideline and being so emotional. I mean, my goodness, your team could have actually won that game if that guy could have kept his head in the game. So, um, you know, I, I don't think they're ready for the physicality of the Vikings defense, and that's going to be one of the things that they'll be able to – the Vikings have been wearing people down. So once they get to that fourth quarter, um, that lack of a, a true rushing game, I mean, I did give you Darkwa in uh, fantasy goal, but that's because I think it's going to be the Vikings rolling up on the Giants real easy here uh, and putting some points up. And that, that Vikings defense, they've been known. They had two touchdowns week one, two scoring, uh, two turnovers, two touchdowns off of turnovers week one. I think we're going to see that again here. So uh, I wouldn't start Eli Manning. I would give you a fantasy cold, a fantasy cold on that one. Um, I like the Vikings here on Monday Night Football at home in that open air. That's the, that is the NFL show this week. Jake, what you got on score on air this week? Not a lot of good stuff, uh, exciting stuff happening on scoreonair.com. Um, you can check out With an Ohio Bias, our live show, every Tuesday and Thursday from 2 to 4. Uh, we have a fantasy football show every Friday from noon to 2. Uh, those guys, the fantasy football fiends, do a great job. Uh, just check it out. A lot of the the new generation of sports talk radio is happening right now here at scoreonair.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll enjoy your Thursday, early Saturday morning, I mean early Saturday morning, early Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday night of football. We'll talk to you next week. That's an easy one here. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. The Tuesday Report, homecoming again. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown, the Seabus. We are talking Buckeyes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking Buckeyes. They beat Oklahoma. They're the number two team in the nation. The number two team in the nation. I don't understand how they're not number one after that performance in Norman. Jake, this podcast is very simple. They play Rutgers. We know what the result of that game is going to be. It's going to be great for everybody to come back to Columbus and enjoy themselves. But except Chris Ash, <laughs> yeah, except for the the former coach of the Buckeyes, BB's uh, uh, Chris Ash and co-defensive coordinator. But the performance in Norman, Oklahoma. I know it's two weeks removed. Some people have forgot. Ohio State's defense. The Silver Bullets are back. Talk about what you saw out there. Noah Brown still catching touchdowns on people's backs. I don't know what else the Buckeyes need to do to show the rest of the world that they're the scariest team in the nation. Yeah, I don't know either, D. Uh, the, the Noah Brown performance is just absolutely incredible. Um, four touchdowns in one game. Uh, JT Barrett is two touchdowns shy now of being the all-time leading uh, quarterback for touchdown passes in his career, and he probably has uh, at least the rest of this year, but then maybe next year as well to add on that. Uh, I, I think this offense in the offensive line has been the key uh, going in. There were some question marks. There were some, a lot of losses on both sides of the ball. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it comes down to the recruiting that Urban Meyer does. I mean, it's like you got speed upon speed upon speed, and these guys are just waiting their turn. Uh, to get in there, and then when they do, you just see the the talent that the Buckeyes have 
on both sides of the ball. But uh, offensively, I mean, Mike Weber is has been unbelievable. Um, the, it, it's just Curtis Samuel has been great. Uh, this is just a very, very talented football team that just needs a little bit of experience and is a very hungry team. You know, it's not a lot of guys that are out there thinking about uh, NFL careers at the moment because they are so young and they're able to just concentrate and get ready and take it game by game and go out there and kick ass. Well, we we got so excited about the way Malik Hooker had developed as a playmaker, you know, back there with that secondary. And I think that's one of the strongest units on this football team right now. Gary finally goes down in that Oklahoma game, and you kind of you kind of held your breath. And then you talk about that death. Marshawn Lattimore emerges and becomes, you know, if it wasn't for Noah Brown, Lattimore is the player of the game. And um, you know, I, I I this might sound this might sound crazy to some football fans out there, but I love defense. And when defense is making plays, especially in college football, it's so easy with these tripped up spread offenses and things like that to go marching up and down the field. But when you've got a defense that can take the ball away from people and impose their will, um, and that's a very high-power Oklahoma team. We talked about it going into that game with P. Ryan and Mixon, you know, yeah. and, and and the big uh, tight end, Andrews. I mean, they've got – and Baker Mayfield, who's known – I mean, they, they play in the Big 12. They roll up scores on people. They roll up 60, 70 points a week. And Bob Stoops knows what he's doing as a coach. Man, they went into Norman, and, I mean, they shut that, they shut that offense down. And, you know, special teams was huge. I got to give it a big shout out to Cameron Johnson with the field position, you know, but the big, the big thing, and I'm so happy for that kid, Noah Brown, after breaking his leg and then being able to come back and just showcase his talent like that. And you got to give credit to that offense and JT Barrett. When something's working, you keep going after it. And they had no answer for Noah Brown and the Buckeyes just kept exploiting that defense of the Sooners. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the the running backs for Oklahoma, and I, I said coming into the game that they're maybe two of the best five in the entire country. Well, those two, uh, Samaje Pirine ended up 17 carries for just 60 yards. Uh, Mixon only toted the rock nine times. He did have the one big carry, but uh, they just did such a good job of containing them and, and like you said, with the offense, uh, put them in a big hole, and they had to just – start throwing the ball, and that was what the Buckeyes were waiting for as uh, Baker and Lattimore were able to get uh, interceptions, and Baker, again, another touchdown off of an interception. So those are big plays that, uh, you know, Buckeyes are leading the nation right now in turnover percentage, and so that's that's a product of the coaching and uh, the technique. It's not so much – it's not exactly luck that uh, is making that happen. Well, here's the other one that was interesting to me, and I know they played BG. They rolled up on them. Tulsa was a little tougher with the rain and everything. But that Oklahoma, you made the point about the running backs and their stats. This Silver Bullets defense hasn't allowed a rushing touchdown this season, which is crazy. That that That's the one that's crazy to you. You figured even in garbage time somebody would be able to, you know, get in or Baker Mayfield on a sneak or something like that. That opportunity was not afforded to these teams that are going against the Buckeyes. So uh, you couldn't be happier with the performance uh, against Oklahoma. And you talk about experience. I thought that was a huge table. Primetime game, 
out there in a hostile environment. They're going to have to do it again coming up here in the future. We'll get to that here shortly. But uh, very proud of the Buckeyes. Uh, one thing, you talked about the injuries. Connolly's going to be coming back from his injury, but K.J. Hill is out for three to four weeks with that high ankle sprain. Uh, Justin Hilliard's having surgery for his torn biceps. So, But you saw those guys step up in the defense at the linebacker level with Jerome Baker, Joe Berger, and uh, Chris Worley rotating in and out. And then uh, – also proud of the guys up on the front four for the Buckeyes with Sam Hubbard, Holmes, and Lewis. Uh, just real the, the effort by the Silver Bullets, man. I can't say enough. That's the thing that I come away from that Oklahoma game with, and I think that's the thing that other teams got to be worried about. You knew the Buckeyes would be able to score with JT Barrett and that offense. You know the kids stepping in on offense, but to have the defense play that well. And the thing is, Phil still kept making this point even before the season, and every time you see him appear. The Buckeyes are going to be playing their best ball later on in the season, and that's what makes them a serious team in the nation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we look forward to the game with Rutgers. Um, this thing that sucks, Darian Grant is out with an injury, so Rutgers big-time play receiver. He, they're not going to have him. Uh, the homecoming game, I mean, it's Rutgers. I, I'm not going to go into the big you know, rant I usually do every year about Rutgers. Uh, I'm going to show a little respect for Chris Ash. And I think the Buckeyes do have to respect their opponent. Um, I saw a lot of that in the Buckeye forums and things like that. The one thing I will say here, you want to get healthy, uh, come out healthy, you want to get healthy. But this affords the experience for, you know, the experience that you say that is much needed. This affords some guys in that depth chart to get some because we know the Buckeyes should roll up a nice score and get some of those young players out there. Yeah, I mean, we keep harboring on the youth of Ohio State. Well, they've got essentially two games here against Rutgers and Indiana to get all the experience that they can get because uh, it gets tough after that. they got to go up to Camp Randall in three weeks uh, for an 8 o'clock game. Jump around will be going on. Um, and Wisconsin is uh, definitely impressed so far this year. I mean, they're running a gauntlet, too, after having to play in East Lansing. Now they get uh, Michigan. And after that, for the Buckeyes, after a game, exhausting game, if they can pull that out against Wisconsin, they got to go to Happy Valley and another night game, uh, whiteout situation. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say Penn State's on the same level as Ohio State. Obviously, they're not. They don't have the athletes, and they sure as hell don't have the same coaching as Ohio State does. But it's still a dangerous, dangerous spot after coming off of a big game. Um, so th- these these next two games are going to be really important to establishing what what we want to do. Uh, as far as experience, but without giving away too much for giving for the two big games that you got coming up after this. Exactly, you don't want to look. You don't want to look past Rutgers and Indiana and come up short or like you know get yourself in a bad position. But uh, the game in Wisconsin, and we'll have a huge show for that to get you prepared for that one. Uh, definitely, is going to be a huge matchup. Wisconsin is playing very well right now, and they're one of the best teams in the country. So, uh, definitely like. They can't wait for the Buckeyes to get that matchup, and I think that's just going to be another great showcase for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So definitely excited, you know, for the Ohio State Buckeyes season. Um, do you want to do a score for the Rutgers game? Oh, geez. Um, I will take the Buckeyes 56-21. I'm taking the Buckeyes 100-0, and that has been <laughs> the Tennessee interview report this week. Uh, Jake, what you got on scoreonair.com? Uh, we got lots of great shows going on here on scoreandair.com with an Ohio Bias Live every two to four, or every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, two to four. Um, there's plenty of great content that's coming on. Uh, we will be carrying a Columbus Blue Jackets show here shortly. Stay tuned for that. Check it all out at scoreonair.com. You can listen live. Download the TuneIn app if you want to take it on the go, or you can check in on the studio and watch us do our thing. 
uh, on the Score on Air YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, just check out the new generation of Sports Talk Radio. It's happening right now here at scoreonair.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next week talking at you more Buckeyes after a big homecoming victory. As always, go Bucks. Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. OH. IO. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. College football. Finally, week four, week five. We're, you know, who cares? I am D, Cleveland, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to see bus. Let's talk some college football. Well, Jake, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to college football. We uh, hadn't talked that to the people since the uh, preview show, and uh, a lot of things have happened. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to review the first couple weeks and have give you some of our observations. We're going to get into the huge coaching news that happened with Les Miles being fired at LSU, at LSU, um, and who that who who might be next to go in the coaching carousel in college football. Um, Of course, we're going to get into our predictions as well for the upcoming week of college football. So you got all that good stuff. And just giving you, you know, the best of – giving you the best of what we think is happening here in the college football world. Um, Jake, let's actually start with the big news in LSU. Um, Well, actually, no, I'm messing myself up here. What's some of your observations? We saw some big things happen here. I mean, we know it was a great opening weekend of college football, which I hope continues that Labor Day weekend. Um, you know, Ole Miss gives it up to FSU. FSU wins the huge Texas win over Notre Dame in double overtime. You know, uh, it, you know we saw Tennessee struggle with App State. We saw some teams move on. But then, you know, we saw week two some teams bounce back, you know, Texas A&M over UCLA. Um Louisville emerging as a top four team in the country. We've seen Oklahoma struggle from week one all the way to week three with Houston and Ohio State. Um, just some of the observations that you have from some of these big games that have happened so far. Uh, I think you got to start in at Louisville. Uh, Bobby Petrino, uh, you know, maybe not the best person in the world, but one hell of a football coach. Uh, that sophisticated offense is uh, – Coach, uh, causing coaches to pull their hair out. Uh, I mean, uh, Jackson, their quarterback, I mean, he went from someone in obscurity that nobody knew to being now the Heisman frontrunner. Um, they got a big matchup this weekend in Death Valley against Clemson, so we'll see how far that goes. But so far this season, Clemson to me has to, or I mean Louisville to me, has to be the, the big story of college football. Uh, the other one, you don't have to look too far outside of the Big Ten. Uh, we talked about it in the 10th unit report. Wisconsin has just been unbelievable, uh, especially when you consider where they are at offensively. Uh, you knew Clement was a good running back, but uh, to be able to get the production from the quarterback position has really allowed them to be able to uh, be in the position that they are now at 4-0 and beat the likes of Michigan State and LSU and uh, send less miles to uh, the unemployment line a lot sooner than a lot of people thought. Uh, I mean, Alabama and Ohio State are the staples. They're the one, too, and uh, I think that's what everybody expected. Michigan, uh, a chic pick, again, for a national championship so far has lived up to the billing. Uh, Clemson has been a little bit disappointing. Uh, I don't know if it's just that they haven't been challenged yet, 
Uh, we're going to see it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, primetime game in Death Valley with Louisville and Clemson. But those are the big, big takeaways. Uh, you got a guy like Butch Jones who's been escaping uh, week after week, and then they're still undefeated. So uh, those are, to me, the biggest, biggest stories. The other Big Ten story to me is Tommy Frazier in Nebraska. And for the guy that I bang on the most, maybe in, as far as uh, high school, as far as college coaches, Mike Riley, he's done a great job. Uh, hasn't really had a chance to screw it up yet. Uh, that chance will be coming soon enough, though. We'll see what happens. Well, one of the two that I'll give you is, um, and I got one that's a little under the radar. Uh, the the one big one that, that the takeaway to me is Texas A&M. Um, I think they might be the only person that can challenge Alabama and the SEC. Uh, they actually have found a defense maybe uh, with the the wins that they've rolled off with UCLA, Auburn, and then Arkansas. You know, I think that Trevor Knight has, you know, made that offense stable and has showed his playmaking ability, which kind of had disappeared in his last year with Oklahoma. So that's one of the big storylines to me. Um, here, here's one that's under the radar. I just have to talk about it. Pat Narduzzi, and it's one of the best feel-good yes, stories of college good. football. James Conner is back running. But why is Pat Narduzzi calling off the dogs in third quarters coming out after halftime when they're rolling up on teams with huge scores? They lose a game to North Carolina that they didn't need to lose. They lost a game the week before. Because this guy literally is bottles back on a high-powered offense that he has. So I'm really upset with what's going on in Pittsburgh. That team should be undefeated right now. Um, I know that's not really, you know, going to play into the college football playoff and whatnot, but that's just one of those frustrating things. I feel bad for everybody in the Oakland Zoo down there at Pitt. Um, that football team is better than that. So, you know, uh, they, they literally are snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory uh, there in Pittsburgh. Um, I will say this, you know, I'm really impressed by a Utah team as well out there in the Pac-12. Stanford escaped UCLA uh, this week doing their thing, um, and UCLA still wants to beat them. That's one of the things that sticks to me. And I will say this, Baylor has quietly been the team that has able to been to stay undefeated in the Big 12 so far. Um, I don't know if they run the table, if they can even get in. But considering everything surrounding that program, I don't think they run the table. But if they did, it would provide an interesting question for the college playoff committee. Um, The other thing I will say this, and it's one of the things that I will always bang on because it doesn't make sense. I don't understand how Georgia is still in the top 25. Uh, I know they're only number 25. But after that beatdown, they caught from Ole Miss, an Ole Miss team that needed to play four quarters that finally did play four quarters. I know Nick Chubb got hurt again, and it's very sad, but they still got two other running backs down there, Sonny Michelle. Um, Kirby Smart couldn't get that offense on track. It might have something to do with the quarterback, which he could have went and got a different one, but he chose to roll with that one. Just bad decision-making in Georgia. And, you know, the opposite side of that coin is Mark Rick has a Miami team without their quarterback, Kaya, 3-0. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, it's a great hire down in South Beach with uh, Mark Rick. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Kaya is as far as an NFL uh, prospect uh, coming out of the draft. Uh, it, it's it, it's a situation where I, I don't. I, he looks like the type of guy that would be an NFL quarterback, but he's just not getting the buzz that uh, I think he should get. Yeah, and, and that that's – I don't think he's getting the buzz, but he needs to, you know, get more eyes need to be on him, and I think that will come here soon. Um, they got the game with Florida State coming up uh, later on in the season, so that will get, you know, that will get the viewership up and people will actually see him play. Um, 
we get into the coaching situation, the coaching carousel, and one of the big storylines you brought up was Wisconsin. The Big Ten, people are saying it's the best conference. I think it's because of the play of Wisconsin and Ohio State, as we know, being in the top ten. I think Michigan is a fraud. They almost lost to the Colorado team if the quarterback hadn't went out of the game. People, you know, seem to glaze over that. Um, but, hey, you know, we knew Michigan had an easy schedule, played with all home games uh, the first weeks of the first five weeks of the season. So we'll see what they got this week coming up here. We'll get into that later. But Wisconsin did help usher out Les Miles. What's your thoughts on the Les Miles situation? And then we're going to go through a couple of other names. i got some names I want to throw at you that I think might be the next people to go. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not that shocked about it. I, I think that this was kind of pre- predestined. Uh, I think the boosters were just waiting for an opportunity to do it. I mean, you look at this LSU team. They're one second away from the win last week against uh, – who's that old – um, It depends on who's operating that clock. Yeah, exactly. Who who, who did they play last week? Auburn. Auburn, that's right, yeah. At Auburn, they're they're one second away from winning that game. And then their other loss is a one-score game up in Wisconsin, an SEC team. He, they probably didn't know what where they were. They thought they'd be maybe on the moon or something uh, when they got to Lambeau Field in uh, in Wisconsin. So, I mean, was he is he out of touch? Maybe a little bit. Is his message a little stale? Yeah, maybe. And I just think that there was an agenda already there for the boosters. And the guys I really feel bad about are the seniors because now they, Ed Orgeron's here. This season is basically a waste season. And uh, if I were Leonard Fournette uh, as a junior that's going to be probably coming out or one of these seniors, I'd be a, a little bit upset because they could still potentially win the SEC. Uh, it just uh, It's not going to happen now, though, for sure. Yeah, and I think they're a little delusional down in Baton Rouge. I right. actually like the LSU fans a lot, um, but I'm talking about the people that, you know, that systems administration building down there, the boosters, the trustees, and things like that. These guys, the university politics down there that wanted to, you know, usher out less money. If you're going to do something, have the conviction to do it at the right time. And that's one thing, that athletic director down there, he said, well, this is in the best interest of the kids. How is it in the best interest of a guy who was trying to have a Heisman Trophy season and, you know, guys that are trying to go to the NFL where you fire one of the best coaches in college football in the, after the third week of the season on a kind of controversial ending of a game because you've been embarrassed out two weeks out of the season. It happens in college football. But the thing is, I will say this, they could have got it all back with a big win against Alabama, and everybody would have been touting Les Miles as, a, as you know, a guy who could walk on water again down there. So, you know, it, it it was the weirdest thing to me. I don't agree with the timing of it. If they wanted to do it, they could do it at the end of the season. They could have announced it and said, hey, you know, Les Miles won't be back at the end of the season. And so then you could have had the emotion of that, of, you know, uh, uh, his final year and him trying to get those guys to the next level, you know, in this season. So I, I, I just think it was a bad way to go. And here's the other thing that I think they're delusional about. I've heard this thrown around, and I don't understand. Maybe it's just because it's a term that can be used when any job comes open. LSU is not a top-five job. It's just not. It, it can't be. If we're looking at the top teams in America, I mean, the programs in America, you know, you go with Florida State has to be in there. Clemson has to be in there right now. Alabama, we're talking about the teams that have been playing for national championships. We know Columbus. Ohio State's in there as a top-five job. You know, so uh, Michigan was supposed to be a top-five job, which I don't agree with. But you think about Stanford. It's just, there's too many schools in front of LSU for people to even say that. So, And now I think we're in a bad predicament. 
where you're looking at Tom Herman's name, me throwing out, first of all, they said they were going to reach out to Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, which I just thought was laughable. That sounds completely ridiculous. Yeah, so, but you look at Tom Herman, I think that would be a bad move for him to go there just because of the simple fact they're not ready to let a guy do what Tom Herman needs to do. He's, I think he's a little too mental for that uh, Oxford community down there, and I mean about the way the shirts that they wear, for that Tiger community down there. Um, but when we look around the landscape, it's not just going to be LSU looking for a coach here this off season. I think we might have Mark Helfrich leave up there in Oregon. They're struggling with that uh, junior, with that uh, um, JUCO transfer who's not playing well. Krupop, Krupop, whatever his last name is, I can't say it, but <laughs> that quarterback up there is struggling. Um, we might see Clay Helton fired at USC after their bad losses. They had a bad Friday night loss to Utah. Um, you know, and then we might see Brian Kelly, who fired his D.C. at Notre Dame, get fired, uh, you know, himself, who claims he needs to get more fire and be himself on the sideline. And then there's a guy in, in Unhappy Valley that's probably going to be out of here, too, because this team just stinks and he can't coach. And that's James Franklin. Yeah, and uh, he just recently here, James Franklin, got the kiss of death. Uh, the uh, According to... Uh, let's see, the Altoona Mirror, uh, athletic director at Penn State, Sandy Barber, quote, he's not on the hot seat and he's not going to be on the hot seat in December. <laughs> so we'll see what, if that changes, uh, if they are uh, below 500 at the end of the year. Like, uh, there's a good chance I think they could be. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think they, I think there's going to be a, a few major shakeups at some big universities and some big jobs coming open. I was wrong about the my bold prediction. They did lose to um they didn't lose to Temple, but they lost to who did they Jesus Christ. Lost that first. Who did they lose to? Who? Penn State. They they lost to Pitt, didn't they? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Penn State, I thought they were going to lose to both in-state rivals, um, but they, they were able to edge out Walker and, and P.J. Walker and the Temple Isles. Um, so, but I still am sticking with the other part of my bowl prediction with that. I don't think they're going to be bowl eligible So by the time this season ends. And I think that might be, you talk about the kiss of death, you know, it's like, hey, we love you, we're going to keep you, then you're not bowl eligible, people will be disgusted. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think this the the one in the the Irish situation with Brian Kelly, him firing that the the defensive coordinator, it's almost like the Rex Ryan kiss of death, where you fire a coordinator when you're the guy that really should be gone. So you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's definitely a guy on the hot seat at this point. Um, you know, you, you look at at some of these names that are out there uh, for these big time jobs, like a Notre Dame or an LSU or potentially a Penn State. Where do you see a team like LSU who obviously made the move to fire late or left miles early so that they could get this coaching search uh, underway and actually approach some of these coaches uh, where you don't have to uh, say, well, there's already a guy there that's, that is the head coach. So, um, you know, I, I look at a guy, you know, like a Larry Fedora down in North Carolina, or potentially do we, is it time to give Wayne Kiffin uh, another chance uh, at a head coaching job? I mean, if you want to tweak Alabama, no better way than to grab their offensive coordinator. Yeah, even if you if you were smart as a trustee or whoever's running the show down there, I, the 
to AD for LSU. Take Blaine Kiffin, even if you don't think it's a long-term solution. Just sort of simple fact that'll gener- that'll energize everybody. You know, it's weakening Alabama, um, and and I think that helps you in the long run because he can't. You know, he would have to then shuffle back there afterwards. Like, yeah, it, it just would create a, a big dichotomy there within the SEC. So, because uh, they would then then lost two coordinators in the last two off seasons. So with Kirby Smart going to Georgia and then if Lane Kiffin went to LSU. Um, and that that I think that puts the, that brings it full circle. So the LSU situation very 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 precarious, very precarious. Uh, but let's get into this week's games because we got some good ones. And it starts Friday night in the Pac-12. Um, Stanford takes on the Washington Huskies. Yeah, I mean the Washington Huskies have been my darling so far uh, this year. Uh, I like them to come out of the Pac-12, and so I'm going to take them here. Uh, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, yeah, that's a, a scary proposition. Uh, but the thing is, Chris Peterson has this offense going very well. Uh, they've got a lot of talented wide receiver, a lot of fast, big guys. And Stanford is down their top two cornerbacks in this game. So I, I think at home on a Friday night in Seattle, one of the toughest places to play in college football, even on a Saturday afternoon, much less uh, prime time, you're the only game on TV type of game. Uh, I think the Huskies get it done in this one. Yeah, one of the big things um, last week in Stanford's win over UCLA, I think they kind of forgot who Christian McCaffrey was. So I think the Huskies are going to be in a uh, bad position to get a heavy dose of number five. Um, one of the big things is the the Washington had a, a, a big win. USC? Yeah. Was it USC they beat? Mm-hmm. That? Last week, hold on. I'm getting hit because it's a point I want to make. Because it was one play in the game that was fucking amazing. Did you did you watch that game or not? Yeah, I, I'm sure I watched parts of it. The crackback block by the quarterback had to be one of the finest blocks I've ever seen on the reverse <laughs> in, in, in any football game. I mean, this guy laid out a linebacker. Yeah. Once I see the game, I'll know. What's this? Arizona. Arizona. That's what they're playing. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, Washington had a, a very big Pac-12 test, uh, just like Stanford, uh, against Arizona. And, uh, you know, they found a way to get their rushing game going with a huge reverse play. The quarterback was one of the best crackback blocks I've ever seen in football. The Huskies are a very physical football team, but I think they're going to have um, the bad luck of getting, like I said, Christian McCaffrey seeing the ball a lot. You know, Stanford won that game over UCLA by throwing a pass touchdown, by throwing a fade route in the end zone um, when I thought they should have went to McCaffrey one more time. But, hey, you know, got to give it to David Shaw. They were able to put UCLA away. And I think they're going to be able to grind this one out with Washington and put them away with a lot of McCaffrey. So I, I like, you know, the Stanford Cardinal over this one. One more Friday night game, and this one is just interesting because I think it's got two of the best offensive players playing, uh, the Toledo Rockets and Kareem Hunt will be playing BYU, and Taysom Hill is back, not wearing number four now, but wearing number seven. 
Yeah, I mean, um, these MAC teams are always dangerous, and BYU has got to be exhausted now after running the gauntlet that they've run early in the season, uh, just coming back from the loss at West Virginia. Um, but, again, it's a Friday night in Provo. Uh, I, I think that it'll be a very high-scoring game, but uh, I, I think I like the Mormons in this one. Yeah, I agree. I think the Mormons will be able to thump the Rockets um, and uh, their propulsion, but I think it's going to be an exciting game. Just just another one to put on your radar screen and some good college football to watch. All right, we get to the Saturday games and a big one in the Big 12. Both of these programs need a win, uh, one more than the other, maybe a little mullet action. The Texas Longhorns go in to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Stillwater. Yeah, I think Texas coming off of the bye, uh, having two weeks to prepare for Oklahoma State is a big, big advantage for them. Uh, this, this team is this Texas team has gotten better, and you know, two quarterback systems don't work very often, except for when they're completely different quarterbacks and they have defined roles in the offense. And I think that's what we got here at Texas. Um, Oklahoma State, they, they could put up a lot of points. They can't stop anybody either. Uh, I think this Texas defense is a little bit better, and uh, I think that's the difference in this game. We're going to hook them horns. I think Oklahoma State had a big contest last – I mean, they had a big challenge last week that they just came up short with Baylor. I think they're more prepared. Um, the two-quarterback system does throw you off a little bit, but once you get the game going a little bit, you get used to it. The big thing – for um, Mike Gundy and the Cowboys is, can they get something going in their special teams? Their special teams has been awful. Um, they're usually very good at that. That's been one of the things that they've excelled at in the years, and I think that's why you see a little bit of drop-off in their games. I am, I am just out of it right now. I don't know what. I think the quarterback play is going to be huge here, and I'll take one over two any day when you got a guy that's there. So I'm going with the mullet and Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State pokes. Oh, Mark Rick and that Miami program go to see the Rambling Wreck in Atlanta and Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is always a tough game. I mean, no matter who you are going to Georgia Tech, to have to play that triple option, it's no easy task. But uh, they didn't look very well, very good last week in a spot where I thought that they could uh, make a little bit of noise. Uh, I think uh, Mark Richt is such an upgrade at Miami from what they've had in the past year. And Brad Kaya is the real deal. I just don't think Georgia Tech has enough offensively uh, to, to scare them with uh, the quarterback throwing the ball to be able to get enough offense on this Miami defense to win the game. I'm going to take the Canes. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. Um, this Miami program is very interesting. Uh, Mark Rick has got that defense playing very well. That was one of the things. I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy, but after seeing Tennessee struggle at App State, it was one of the games that I was looking forward to. Uh, I thought App State was going to upset Miami. No chance. They came in. They went into upstate North Carolina and took it to App State. I know it's App State, but it was just a very, very dominating performance, and I think that's the same thing we're going to see here against Georgia Tech. This team has become way more physical than they ever were underneath Al Golden, and uh, that is a huge testament to what Mark Rick has done in a short time down there. So I agree with you, uh, Brad Kaya, and that, that uh, you might be back here, uh, maybe not this year, but shortly. But they're going to have a good weekend. They're going to have a good Saturday this weekend. 
we go back to the Pac-12. Pac-12. We go back to the Big 12, and the aforementioned Baylor Bears go in the Iowa State to take on the Cyclones. Yeah, I mean Iowa State to me at home even doesn't scare me at all. Um, I just don't think that they can put up the volume of points that Baylor can put up uh, overall. Um, they're going to be able to score just because the Bears' defense isn't that good. But if they're going to play in a high-scoring game, they don't want to do it against the Baylor Bears because they're going to win that high-scoring game all the time. So uh, I'll take the Bears on the road. No, I agree. It's one of these things you look at. It might be a trap game with Baylor looking down the road when you got to go into another uh, hostile environment. We know the, the Big 12, you never know what can happen. They could get hit with a cyclone of uh, – of a of a Iowa State program trying to make one big win for their season. Um, that's what. So you always know somebody's waiting in the weeds. But Baylor is very high powered, still high powered, and I think you're. I, I agree with your assessment that they will uh, run up the score on the Cyclones. Is this Butch Jones Tennessee Volunteers team for real as they go in between the hedges to take on the Georgia Bulldogs? Yeah, they've been able to find ways to win in games that normally they would lose. I mean, uh, you have to be impressed with what they were able to do to come back against Florida after being completely dominated in the first half. Um, you know, it's a different task when you're not in front of your 110,000 Rocky Top fans uh, and have to go play in Athens. They need to be careful because Nick Chubb is still the real deal. Um, Kirby Smart is a very, very good coach. No, Georgia struggled a little bit here, especially with the quarterback position. But uh, Tennessee, you never know with what, what's get, how they're going to end up coming out of the locker room. Uh, I have them on a little bit of upset alert this week. I think I'm, I, I like the Bulldogs in this matchup. Well, I would like the Bulldogs. Chubb is hurt, so that's the one thing that slows down that uh, rushing attack. I think Sonny Michelle, though, can carry the load there. Problem is the quarterback. Is Chubb out? Lambert. Yeah, Chubb's out. Is Chubb out? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's out. He got hurt second quarter last game. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the real problem is that quarterback play from the Georgia Bulldogs, what they're going to get. And it's almost an equal question with Tennessee. Josh Jobs was uh, not good in that first half against Florida, as you mentioned, um, but he, he played better in the second half. If if that Georgia defense, which is much improved underneath Kirby Smart, is able to get some turnovers and give Dobbs a hard time, if he's not rushing the ball, he's not dangerous. He cannot sit back in pocket and make the throws that he needs to. So um, Georgia definitely will have an opportunity in this game, but I think Tennessee finds a way to edge it out because they just have a little bit more talent than Georgia does right now. Arizona State goes up to L.A. and Hollywood to take on the USC Trojans. Yeah, USC is a much better team than uh, we saw against Alabama in week one. Uh, Arizona State, uh, Old Sparky is an up-and-down type team. Uh, I I like the Trojans in this game. I like their offensive talent. Uh, I just don't think Arizona State is the type of team it has the the horses that uh, USC has. Well, I like the way their defense has been playing a little bit here. They've been very – opportunistic in the games that I've seen them play so far. Uh, they've given up a lot of yards, but um, they've been trying to make plays out there, and I think they get that USC Trojans team reeling at the right time. So I like Arizona State with an upset there. We stay in the Pac-12, and we see Rich Rod taking the Wildcats take also go up to 
Southern California to take on UCLA. Yeah, I, I actually think if uh, this was in Arizona, I, I may lean towards the Wildcats. Uh, but, again, UCLA, I think, just has more horses than Arizona does. Arizona's strength is going to have to be spreading these guys out, getting in space, and using their athleticism. Uh, can they do that against a, a stout UCLA defense? And then uh, Josh Rosen on the other side of the ball, he's going to be able to score points against UCLA. I think this is going to be a really high-scoring game. Uh, just because I think Arizona will be able to get into some space. I'm still going to take UCLA to pull it out, though. Uh, but uh, Arizona is definitely a live dog in this one. Here's the real big thing. You look at that game last week between Stanford and UCLA and the time of possession. Stanford always grinds teams out. Um, UCLA definitely uh, had adjusted their game plan, so I give kudos to Jim Moore because they were trying to do the same thing to Stanford. And so – it, it worked, but then they got into a position where they wanted to go fast at the end of the game, and then it kind of caught up with them. The one thing about Arizona is they don't play like that. They play, they want to play faster than you do, and I think that's going to be the Achilles heel to them. They they want to try to take a page out of Stanford's book, um, just like UCLA wants to be Stanford, as Jim Moore was quoted as saying. You know, they would have a better chance against UCLA. Giving Jacob Rosen more opportunities, you know, on the field is just going to be the thing that catches the Wildcats by the tail. Oh, the big one in the Big Ten. Wisconsin, the Badgers, grab it, go in to take on the team up north. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we were uh, talking about Wisconsin as a, a much better team because of the uh, capability of being able to – the threat to throw the football now at the quarterback position uh, with the switch to the freshman. Uh, I just think Michigan has the better athletes and being at home and Wisconsin having to – have already played at East Lansing and an emotional big game for them. I just don't know if they can get up two weeks in a row and it, it, with – the athletes that Michigan has, uh, the defense is still very good. I just think Wisconsin's still a little bit limited, and I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Michigan in this one. Well, I will say this about the team: I'm none. They got one of the best players in the country, Andrew Brell Peppers. Um, yep. Their their defensive line is also very stout, but their secondary is horrible. So if Wisconsin can throw enough, they will you know be able to make plays out there over the top, just the way Colorado did. The real big thing for Wisconsin is to help about. Corey Clement, the running back. Um, Hornybrook or Houston have been serviceable at quarterback, so for once you're not worried about that position with the Badgers. It's the health of Corey Clement. He has shown that he can be a, a difference maker, that ankle uh, and that leg, you know, you're worried about that. But if they can match the physicality, I think they actually the point that they were able to route Michigan State actually helps them because they were able to take a little bit easy. Um, and I think they're going to catch this team up north thinking that smelling their own uh, smelling this, I think they're going to catch the team up north smelling themselves. They've been reading the press clippings. They they're buying into the khakis and everything like that. Well, it's time to play big time football. And this game, we saw Wisconsin be prepared for LSU, be prepared for Michigan State. They're going to be prepared for the team up north, and I think they upset them at home. Go figure. I'm picking against them. I'm picking against Hairball. <laughs> uh, very yeah, very interesting game here. North Carolina gets Florida State in Tallahassee. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina is not the team that they were last year, and Florida State is still struggling to find their defense. Um, but offensively, they're still a really, really good team. 
Um, I, I just think Florida State is the much, much stronger team, and they shouldn't have too much trouble with North Carolina this week. Here's the thing about Florida State, and you talk about not being the team they were last year. Um, I, 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 when you say North Carolina, that is true to both teams. North Carolina losing their quarterback last uh, last year, um, Marquise Williams. Here is the thing about this matchup, though, that I think is a little bit of a thing. Florida State is playing terrible. They got that Showtime series following them around. Jimbo Fisher is all around the gauntlet, you know, of emotions with this team right now, trying to find a way to motivate them. He's gone with the quiet approach after the loss, after the losses. He's gone with the fiery approach after wins. You really don't know what Florida State you're going to team you're going to get, and that's the one thing that they have been inconsistent. They come out with slow starts sometimes. They got the talent. The talent has never been questioned. Jimbo's a great recruiter. They got some of the top recruiting classes over the last couple of years. But for some reason, you never know what you're going to get. And that's the only reason we're talking about this game right now, because I think North Carolina, with an emotional win last week, they can find a way to upset the Florida State. So I think Florida State still reeling. I think they get caught slipping again, and North Carolina upsets them. The Oklahoma Sooners tested yet again going to Fort Worth to take on Gary Patterson and the Purple Horn Frogs at TCU. Yeah, I mean, TCU coming into the season, I thought they were going to be a much better team because I thought their defense was good, and it's just not the case. The the defense is not that much better than it was a year ago, and then you take away uh, the big players that they lost on the offensive side of the ball, and yeah, they're good, but they're not the same as they were last year either. I think Oklahoma now, with all the pressure off of them, uh, will be able to go in here free and easy, and they've got the better uh, they've got the better offense at this point. I think they have the better defense at this point as well. Uh, so I, I expect Oklahoma to be able to go down there and beat TCU. Yeah, you talk about the loss of Josh Doxson and P.J. Dawson, you know, for both sides of the ball for TCU. It's definitely hurting them. And Boykin, right? Yeah, and Boykin. Um, Turpin, you know, is trying to step up down there, but it just hasn't been enough for Gary Patterson. And here's the worst thing for the Big 12. Oklahoma, you've got a team that feels like it was embarrassed at the beginning of the season. So now they're going to be trying to embarrass all those teams in the Big 12. And I think yep. this is a bad spot for the Horned Frogs. And I think Oklahoma, you're going to see the Sooners roll up a big score on TCU. Gary Patterson, potential candidate for that LSU job. Uh, that, would actually, that actually would make sense, yeah. That would, uh, but I think he's too cerebral for that crew down there, you know. <laughs> Um, no, no disrespect to LSU. <laughs> and that's the other thing I felt about Tom Herman as well. Though. Um, we get to the big one. Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson. The Louisville Cardinals. Petrino versus Dabo. And the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, I mean, LSU's been the talk of the town, the the toast of the town, whatever you want to Louisville. say. And Lamar... Oh. Sorry. Louisville has been the talk of the town. Uh, they have been able to just uh, go in and do whatever they needed to do to win games. And Lamar Jackson has been great. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I or if I'm uh, Clemson, i got to make Lamar Jackson beat me with his arm. you got to just be able to stack up against the read option and limit his, the best thing that, that Louisville does, and that's run the football. Um, we haven't seen the big performance yet from Clemson or from Deshaun Watson. And I, I think this is the week we're going to get it from them. They haven't really been tested at all this season. 
And uh, I just feel like that at home, Death Valley, at night, everybody is picking Louisville. I'm taking Clemson in this one to win it. I just think overall the team is a better team than Louisville. Here's the thing about Clemson, if they're going to win this game. It's not going to be Watson that's the difference. They have one of the best running backs in the country that nobody knows about in Wayne Gallman. They never give him the ball enough down there because they run a lot of the zone reads and things like that with Watson. So he keeps it. But if Wayne Gallman runs for over 100 yards, Clemson wins easily. That Louisville defense is improved, um, but they're not good against the run. That's one thing that I've seen. Here's the other thing when it comes to Louisville, and it's not like I'm down on them. I've actually been very impressed, especially the performance they put on against Florida State. Who couldn't be with 66 points? But Lamar Jackson, as, as, as you look at him, he seems very slight, and I haven't seen him take any real punishment. If he takes two big hits, can he have the durability and and, and, you know, the physical stamina to finish a big game like this. That's when it's going to be the big test. It's real easy when you're rolling up the score on teams, even with Florida State, which nobody knows what happened that day. You thought Florida State would be the more physical team that day, but it wasn't the case. Louisville came out with their hair on fire. If they come out like that again, yes, they will roll Clemson. But I think Clemson, like you said, being at home, the atmosphere of running down the hill in Death Valley, I think they'll be, you know, fired up um, and touching the rock there. You know, they'll be fired up. So I I cannot pick Clemson in this game. I'm going to pick Louisville, but I'm giving you the reasons why Clemson could win. And it's going to be funny, but it's it's one of my biggest observations. It would not be the quarterback play. It would be the rushing yards if Clemson was going to win to me. That would be the difference in this game. Oh, and the other point about, part about the rushing yards is that time of possession that would be key for Clemson, keeping Lamar Jackson on the sideline and keeping that Louisville defense out there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been our college football show this week. Jake, what you got on the score and air? Yeah, make sure you're tuning in, scoreandair.com, every Tuesday and Thursday, 2 to 4, for With an Ohio Bias Live. Uh, check out all the other great programming. we got the fantasy football show every Friday, 12 to noon, or uh, noon to 2. And, uh, you know, just check out the new generation of Sports Talk Radio here. They're on right now, scoreandair.com. Just go there. You can listen live, or if you want to check out the studios, you can click on the YouTube link and uh, watch us uh, watch us on our YouTube channel. And we thank you for listening to this podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at With an Ohio Bias. Uh, give us a like on Facebook. Get all the great articles and just updates that we give you uh, with an Ohio Bias on Facebook. And of course, you can always find all the podcasts and all the information you need at WithanOhioBias.com. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of college football action. All right, man. I I was ready for that Louisville Clemson game. I think the Coleman thing is a huge key. I don't know why you got to get the ball more. So it it would take the pressure off of Watson, too. Yeah, Yeah. no, you're right. Gallman's really good. Yeah. I mean, he's really, really good. Like, I mean, I kind of want, like, 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 I was looking at him um, draft prospect-wise. Like, the dude is just, like, he's very solid. And I haven't seen that guy. He hasn't fumbled the ball, I think, since they play. Who did they play? They played a Thursday night game against somebody. He had a big fumble. But since then, he hasn't really fumbled last year. It was an early game. Um, they won the game big. but um, I got they, the Pete Pappas coming on uh, the live show this afternoon. Okay. Well, send me, send me the audio if you can, because so, I can turn it into a little podcast with you guys on here, too. So. Yeah, I, I will do that. Uh, do you think you could uh, throw a couple of tweets out there? I'm, like, swamped the rest of the day here. Yeah. What what uh, what time is it going to be? Give me the details. Yeah. 
uh, the show's two to four, and then he's coming on uh, at three fifteen. At three fifteen. Year in golf, Ryder Cup. I think. Ryder, yeah, Ryder Cup and Arnie Palmer. Legacy of Palmer. Gotcha. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. Um, right. And then I'm finishing up school here in the next uh, this next week, so uh, I'll be a lot more available and active, and be able to uh, give you more support. Thanks for bearing with me in the meantime. No, it's all good, man. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate all right. it. All right, late. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.